All right, um, we're going to have a guessing game. You have to guess which book of the Bible we're in. Who would guess First Peter? Anybody? Yeah, okay. What about the chapter? Can you guess the chapter? Uh-huh, number one, I'm sure you said. Okay, now how about the verse? Any guesses? That's right, verse one. We're in First Peter, chapter one, verse one. And before we go really far forward, somebody help me with my timeline. Is this back in time this way, or is this forward? This is back in time, right? I got this straight first service, so we're back in time, uh, and I'll, we'll go there in just a second, but uh, back in time, only this tiny little bit, we talked about uh, when and, and who uh, writing, making a big difference, so Andrea, again, I wish I would have brought my yearbook just so I could keep talking about it, but hey, I don't have it. Um, I do want to remind you, though, that this made so much of a difference because it was written by Andrea, so who is writing makes a big difference. And then when, last week we talked about when carries weight. This was written in my yearbook um, about six months before we went on our first date. So we talked about how important it was that we know who wrote it. And then we talked last week about how when something is written carries a lot of weight so that we remember where we were in a first Peter, he's writing from uh, the city of Rome, in the empire of Rome, and he's writing uh, in a time where, uh, let's rewind just a little, he's writing in a time where Christians are accepted. Sound familiar? Okay. Uh, he's writing when times can, uh, Christians can gather uh, without any harm to them. Familiar? Okay. And then uh, he's writing... Um, in a time where they're free to like worship, not just gather, but to worship, to express their faith. So that's a little bit about when. A little more about when is uh, this guy named Nero and fires of Rome. And then we have letters from outer provinces from other uh, provincial leaders. You could call him a governor. That might be an easy way to understand it. But we're remembering that during this time, they go from that's why we got our timeline. They go from uh, accepted and everything's fine and it's no big deal. You just do your worship thing, whatever. You're kind of weird, but it's okay. To after the fires of Rome, Nero needs a scapegoat and Christians are it. Now they're on poles, drenched in oil, lit on fire to light gardens at night. And they're torn apart by animals for public spectacle. That's sort of the, the switch that flips when Rome, 70% of it is burnt because Nero needed a scapegoat. So that part doesn't sound as familiar, but we're not exactly sure when Peter's writing the letter. I will say the majority of commentators kind of think it's before the fire, although there is that time when Peter talks about fiery trial. We don't know for sure, but he's not talking. Peter is never writing about state-sponsored persecution of Christians. So it can't be over here where we have this letter, where in this letter, and even for us, this is hard to understand because we don't live this way, but in this letter from Pliny to Trajan, he's saying, how should I persecute? Because when he comes into power, it is the standard to persecute people for claiming to be a Christian because they're believed to be atheists and incestuous and cannibalistic. That's how the state views them. So it's the standard for the state then to persecute the Christian. That's the standard practice. That's the sort of environment that we talked about last week that we want to remember we're in that environment as we receive this letter from Peter. So 
Let's make this we understood real quickly. This we is us now, today, 2,000 years later, and this we is also them. And our knowing about them helps us to understand and apply Peter's letter to our lives. So at the end of last week, I said, how does Peter expect us to live now in light of all of what we've said? How does Peter expect us to live? How does he instruct us and encourage us to live given this either uh, semi-tolerant environment that Christians are living in or just 20, 30 uh, 20, 30 years later, state-sponsored persecution, and we find ourselves right in the middle as a, a group of believers who have gathered here without any harm at all. Nobody was afraid of coming to church today. There's no reason to be afraid. However, when we take the truth, not our truth, the truth out of this gathering and this building off of these grounds, it comes into contact in the culture here and in there in ways that are they're supposed to be redeeming, but because of who's receiving it and the fact that they will not receive it, it comes across as harsh. And I think you might have heard this word before, narrow-minded and bigoted. Have you heard those words? So we, right now, in our time, live kind of between it's acceptable, go to church, no harm is done, and being lit on fire. Okay, we live in that spectrum, and I'm not by any means saying that we suffer some kind of persecution that our friends overseas do. So, so Peter, likely in prison, likely from Rome, is writing this letter to the outer provinces to say, I think, get prepared for. I think that's, he's probably more in the timeline that's before the burning when he writes it, I think. So, so he's writing this letter to outer regions, and he does not, though it is explicitly to Christians, he does not call them brothers and sisters, which is normal. It's normal to call them brothers and sisters. Rather, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He calls them those who are elect exiles. That's a, an ESV, and your translations may have something different. I'll go through a few and then be ready to tell me what you have in yours. I heard one this morning that I hadn't looked up. So, uh, the New American Standard, we see um, aliens, and then uh, some of you grew up with the NIV 84 like myself, and we had uh, strangers, and then uh, s- does anybody in here have something different this hour? We had a foreigners in the first one, in the NLT. So, so to, to take uh, Peter's, uh, Peter's use of this word, we want to try to develop like a, a portrait, if you want to rewind with me. We talked about who writes it matters. And we talked about different portraits of Peter. Now jump back on the timeline with me. We talked about different portraits of Peter's life. So we had portraits of Peter that were where Peter wasn't necessarily understanding or maybe not necessarily yielding his life yet fully to Jesus. He was still sort of living for here and now, right? Not like Robin talked about two weeks ago, now and later. Peter was... uh, falling below than wind and waves. Peter was, uh, surely not, Lord, you will not go die in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, get behind me, right? Get behind me who? Get behind me, Satan. Today's going to be participatory. There's going to be another one I know you guys know the answer to. So uh, that's the, the Peter that like, kind of gets stuck in my mind, is betraying Jesus, Peter. And so we talked about how important it is to have a storyline versus 
my mistake to do this all the time. I just see, sort of carry this like two-dimensional portrait of Peter. I do this with a lot, but I do it with Peter too. So we develop this whole storyline where we see Peter go from this, like an everyday person, over to this fully devoted follower of Christ who's preaching to the Jews. He's preaching and he's leading the apostles, a whole new Peter. He's restored, he's redeemed, he's transformed. So in the same way that we looked at the number of portraits and then we developed a storyline, we want to look at a number of different ways of seeing something like alien, stranger, exile, foreigner. We want to look at moms, moms engaged, no worries, all good. We want to look at those portraits and make sure that we understand, not like I often do it two-dimensionally, but we want to understand his, I'm going to use exile today. It's what my ESV has. You have to decide which one you think best communicates what we're going to unpack today. So uh, imagining these series of portraits, we're going to try to develop a whole storyline instead of portraits like we had of Peter. So in beginning that, I want to start with Alien, because uh, Strangers and Aliens is one that I am super familiar with. I grew up uh, just a couple of years ago. I was at middle school camp, and this sort of uh, photograph is, is kind of, it was sort of the theme for the camp. It, was anybody else in a camp where you guys had like the Aliens theme? Did anybody else have that theme? All right, well, we had that theme, and like the whole stage was decorated with like, you know, planets and stuff like that and alien faces. And so the, the, the speakers and the teachers focused us very intently on being this very different kind of people. And remember, this is middle school camp. So if you're in middle school, don't get offended. We're going to talk about you for a second. I was one one time. I was a middle schooler. I know it's very hard to believe. I was a middle schooler. And uh, we were at one time forced to go back to our dorm rooms for some reason. They made us lay down in beds. What the heck are you guys doing to us? We hated it, right? Uh, did any of you guys have that experience at camp? You had to go back for like mandatory naps. It was like, how far off the bunk can you get without getting in trouble is what it really was. So we're uh, not very good at getting off the bunks. So we're in our bunks and we're being super alien weird in our bunks as middle schoolers, just like they were teaching us. So you know what we did to be super weird? Middle schoolers, remember, we put on deodorant. That is weird for a middle schooler, isn't it? Uh-huh, some middle schoolers feeling seen right now. I, I was weird in that way. I was not wearing it yet. So like, it was new for us to put that on. So we put it on, and that was weird. And then we put it behind our legs, and we put it all over everything. And we were extra, extra, like, alien weird. I'm not exactly sure that that is what Peter means when he says alien, stranger, exile, foreigner. But I would say that it has a shade of what we're looking for. We want to be absolutely set apart, which we'll, we'll talk about in, in two weeks, we'll talk about set apart, but alien could also, for some of us, mean uh, if, if alien is said, maybe you think about uh, these people as an alien. Maybe this is what you think of as alien, people who are becoming naturalized citizens. The, maybe you're thinking of, of these folks who have studied and then passed their uh, 
right to naturalization to become a citizen, right? Before they're a citizen, they're an alien or an exile or a foreigner, a stranger. I'm not sure that I necessarily get, but you can understand what I'm saying here. Now, if I said the word immigrant, like we just blow everything up, don't we? So let's stick with our word exile because immigrant could be like border issues. Oh my gosh, somebody came here illegally, work visas, and it kind of blows up our image of what we're talking about. But if we focus on this group of people as an exile, uh, we, have, we have a better shot. I want to talk about the, the definition of exile, actually. Uh, an exile is a person who's living like in a, a state or a period of forced absence from their country or home. So but, uh, if we can go back to that picture again, Melissa, that would be amazing. I, I want us to picture, forget the flag, uh, that was a terrible idea of mine, but naturalization was helpful, okay? So forget the flag, but imagine this myriad of faces, all exiles becoming citizens. I think that may be the closest representation that we have for who's receiving the letter from Peter. Because, you're still in verse 1, look at all of the different provinces that he's addressed there, Bithynia, Cappadocia, Pontus, let me name you some of the dates that they became a province of Rome. So they, on this day that they become a province of Rome, they were not Roman citizens, and then, ta-da, they are. Bithynia, 74 B.C. Pontius, 63 B.C. Cappadocia, 62 A.D. Hop back on the timeline with me. This letter is like mid-60s, probably. Cappadocia? 62 becomes part of Rome, so we know it's after 62, don't we? We start to narrow that time frame down a lot. So I'm thinking that a lot of these people have become recent Roman citizens, but we know that they're not all Roman citizens because we've got Pliny writing to Trajan saying, how do I treat these crazy people? But further down in his letter, he says, but the Roman citizens I'm sending straight to Rome. So there's still this smattering of people, and it makes me think then that the people that received this letter were some citizens of Rome and were some exiles. They're living in a state that is like not in their home. They're exiles. So I don't know that that's specifically and exclusively how Peter wants us to understand the word exile, but as we continue to develop that portrait of exile and begin to understand because Peter's going to keep saying exile through his letter. I think it's important that we look at the theme of exile through Scripture. So just, uh, we'll put a few up here, and we're not going to go read all of them. But imagine Eden, home, like ultimately home. God makes it, and He puts them there, and He calls it good, and He calls them very good, and they're in Eden. And then what comes in and separates them? Sin. Okay, so then we've got our very first time that humanity lives in exile. They live in a state that is apart from their home. They're living in exile. Abraham leaves his home. Moses, Joseph, the Hebrews were born into exile. The Israelites finally come out of exile, and then because of sin, where do they wind up again? 
and exile again. So the theme of exile is drawn all the way through Scripture. If you want to follow with me, I'm going to have it on screen, but I'm going to Philippians chapter 3. The difference between citizen and exile is something that we're going to see very clearly, and it's important as we understand exile, sojourner, foreigner, stranger, alien, that we get clearly cemented in our minds what we are and what we're not. So Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm in Hebrews, I'm going to go to chapter 11. So in Philippians, Paul is saying our citizenship isn't here, but it's in heaven. So while we're here then living in a state or position that is away from home, we would be Say it if you know it, exiles, right? Okay, we've got more participation. We're going to have to do better. All right, so Hebrews now, how does it sound like the New Testament is treating Christians in this place? This is Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and, say it with me, exiles on earth. Because where's our home? Where's our home? Where's our home? Heaven is our home. So last one before we get into a little bit of application, Hebrews 13, 14, for here we have no lasting city, but where is our hope? We seek the city that is to come. So don't build a big bunch of rights down here on earth because our hope is not here. It is in heaven. So I've kind of summarized it into a phrase that I think is going to help me and help you as we travel through this letter from Peter, and that is exiles do not fight for their rights. Now, Beastie Boys, they know how, right? They, they know. But exiles do not fight for their rights. Exiles, in fact, exiles, ex- they expect to be kind of on the fringe. They expect to be outsiders, They don't have any kind of right to fight for. Recall the letter from Pliny to Trajan, from governor to president or king, whatever, to say, what do I do with these people? If they're a citizen, I know what to do. But these other people, what what am I doing? They're exiles. They're outsiders. They They may want to fight for their right, but Peter is going to say, An exile is not one who should fight for their right. We'll see that through the book of Peter. An exile is not looking for a way to make this home. Because an exile lays down their rights. So Jesus is our example, of course. Jesus puts it this way, if you want to follow in Matthew 16. I'll read from there. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself... And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus believes that as a follower of his, that we're to be laying down our rights. Peter chooses a term 
that applies to both the audience that is hearing this letter for the first time and us now. And that term for the ESV is exiles. Exiles live as an outsider. They live as though they do not belong. They willingly lay down their lives. So follow me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It, we'll have it on the screen here as well. And then we'll go to Ephesians after that. So that I don't have on the screen. That's an audible. Um, the Lord says, Happy Father's Day, and he wants you to read Ephesians. So we're reading Ephesians together. Not the whole thing, just the, just the dad stuff. All right, so in Philippians chapter 2, developing sort of the idea of an exile, foreigner, stranger, alien, a person who is journeying with a purpose but is not in their home. That is us, people who want to start out as an everyday person and become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, we're exiles. So let's get used to the term as we gain a more clear understanding of it. I'm in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus now, this is Paul writing of Jesus as, I would say, the ultimate exile. His home is heaven, not earth. But here's what he did as an exile coming to earth in chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he, he emptied himself, taking the nature of a servant. So the question I think we can ask as an exile then is, are we willing to lay down our life? Are we willing to empty ourselves? So let's make that more practical. We don't need to stay in the theology and the philosophy of what does it mean to empty myself? How about we talk about calendars and checkbooks? Pulling out your phone, if you keep a calendar on your phone, pulling up your bank app, scrolling through that, as you analyze what's on your calendar or what's in your checkbook or well, it's not in your checkbook because things went to places they needed to go. Uh, I'm very familiar with this myself. Are we going to see that we're laying down our lives? Or are we going to see that we're trying to fight for our citizenship? We're trying to create a home here. Are we trying to make this our permanent place? Are we trying to create our reward here and now? It is impossible to talk about this without having your best life now, ringing in our minds and ears. Am I right? Does anybody hear best life now or living your best life? When we talk about being an exile, stranger, alien, foreigner, our hope is in heaven. Well, if we're living our best life now, we're not an exile, are we? We've entirely lost focus of what we're supposed to be hoping for and awaiting, and we've started creating our own little kingdom. So we, we want to think about how at home, at home, are you willingly laying down your life? I'll just use this example, uh, spouses, and I don't mean wives, make sure you do this for your husband today. I do mean all spouses. If it is the job of your spouse to pick a chore, I don't care, put the kids to bed. And it's not done. And it's staying not done. And you're growing frustrated. 
Are you going to fight for your right to not have to put the kids to bed tonight? Or are you going to lay down your life? Some of you maybe haven't put the kids to bed recently. Um, I can't remember who told me this, but I think they said they become parched philosophers. Anybody familiar with a parched philosopher? They can't get enough water, and they want to talk about all of the meaning of life. It's a very difficult time, okay? Uh, so maybe it's easier for you to think about this at work. Maybe you don't have the same home environment that I'm talking about. Think about this at work, and we're at work, and holy smokes, there's a lot of work, and have we seen it everywhere? Not a lot of help. There's not a lot of help to go around. So there's even extra work. Are you the type of person, is your character such that at work, when someone needs help, they know they can come to you because you're willingly laying down your life. I'm not asking you to become a doormat that does everybody's dirty work. I am asking you to examine your heart and say, am I willingly laying down my life? I want to examine now a, a specific command, and this is where we get to dad's. Uh, read in Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter 5, not on the screen. So if you're already in Philippians, just flip back a page or two. Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus uh, is being described by Paul in his letter, "'Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her.'" He was willingly laying down his life, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, she might be holy and without blemish. Dads, this is a good one to underline here. Ephesians chapter 5, 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves him, his wife loves himself. Are we willing, dads, happy Father's Day, are you willing now to live up to the title of father by laying down your life, by giving up your rights, by not demanding my rights, it's my day, I want steak. I'm pretty sure you can get steak without demanding steak. Are you willing to lay down your life? exiles willingly lay down their lives. I want to highlight a couple, of the, a couple of the places I've seen exiles laying down their lives here, and I've just sort of categorized it in two places, thinking of the Great Commission and the Greatest Commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm thinking of how we love our brothers and sisters, how we love God here within the church, and I'm kind of thinking also of how we love our community. So initially, I've observed these exiles, these Georgetown Christian Church brothers and sisters, willingly laying their life down. This was uh, last week. I left at 4.30. I came back at 6, and there was this tree down. And we had, like, no storm at all, but whatever. There's a tree laying out there, and, you know, we've got VBS coming, and we just don't do a really good VBS with giant trees in the yard. So we started getting all these bids for all the tree companies to come charge us a million dollars, whatever. And uh, I found out Tuesday morning, um, I got a text that, hey, we're done, call off the bids. And I'm thinking, what? And I walked outside and the tree was gone. The, the exiles from Georgetown 
used some of their talents, time, and ability when it was 95 degrees, and they removed the tree entirely. Woo! Thanks be to God. So that's what a little bit what it looks like to lay down your life. Another example of what it could look like to lay down your life. Uh, some of these people took vacation time. Faith, uh, Faith, Melton didn't necessarily take vacation time, but Faith is going to college, like away to college in less than eight weeks. Sorry, mom and dad. Stay focused. This is hard for me as it is for you, but much harder for you, I'm sure. Faith is going to college really soon, and Faith gave up a week of her time to go be with, oh, middle schoolers. What? Because she feels like laying down her life is the best way to advance the kingdom, not build her own kingdom, but advance the kingdom of God. So I want to show a couple of more people because they're not going to college. Grant gave up some vacation time. Shauna gave up some rest she desperately needs. Shauna has surgery in a couple of weeks. And I think we've got, oh yeah, Mr. Townsend here, Matthew, our student pastor. He gave up another week of his life. He's giving his whole summer to this. And then we've got one last guy who I think they registered him as a student because he's so much fun. Uh, his name is Mr. Tommy Hobselleck, T-Bone, as the kids call him. Here's T-Bone right here. Uh, T-Bone has exactly two weeks, and he uses one for dubs and one for mix. Thanks be to God. Now, Tommy would say, this is no glory to Tommy, but this glory all belongs to God because he's willingly, as Grant and Shauna and Faith and Matthew are all laying down their lives willingly that they might advance the kingdom of God and live as an exile because we don't belong here. We don't live here. It's not our home. We don't want to build a little like kingdom for ourselves. We believe there's more. Okay, so then we've got these exiles here that uh, they, they spend their time differently to love their neighbors, the, these other exiles I've got. These are exiles, and you can just go through the pictures, that are helping get ready for VBS. This is last week, and we've got all of these exiles here who are, uh, they're very helpful. I know right now they look like taking a break because I fed them. But, uh, and then last summer, oh my, did they ever live out of their comfort zone. Now, this year, if you're helping with snacks, you're inside, Okay. But last year we had snacks outside and it was not quite as hot as it's going to be this week. But we have these exiles who are willingly laying down their lives when I assure you they could have been much cooler and more comfortable literally anywhere else but here. But they willingly laid down their lives for the benefit of our community that they might know the good news that Jesus loves them. I know it's hard to figure out how a snack does that, but if you come this week, we'll show you. All right, so our... our our whole picture here is of these variety of words, alien, exile, foreigner, stranger. Peter begins to use, a word, use another word, sojourner. Paul uses that same word. We want to travel through the letter Peter writes as a group of people who currently don't have to suffer much persecution at all. But at any moment, could become an enemy of the actual entire state. We want to carry this picture of exile through the whole letter. And we want to remember that exiles willingly lay down their lives. Because Peter's going to say exile more than one time in here. As we applied the truths of God's word together today... Some of you may have decided, I need to take a step. That step may not be to give your life to Christ for the first time. That may be done. The step may be that I need to repent. The step may be that I need to move forward in my walk with Christ. 
I don't know what the step is. We believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God at work in our hearts, He transforms us. We believe this especially happens when we're gathered as a church. So therefore, we expect that people will necessarily be taking a step of greater faith. For some of you, that may be a step to say, I'm going to become involved in an elective. For some of you, you're going to have to go to your own bank account or your own calendar, and you're going to have to make some arrangements in there. You may not want help from Next Steps with that. You may want to have help from Next Steps with that because you may not want to say, here are the details of my finances and my calendar, but you may want to say, how on earth am I supposed to change what's going on in my life? Because it feels helpless and it feels like there's no way to handle all that's going on. But I know I'm being called to follow him more closely. If that sounds like you, I want to invite you to the next steps spot in our lobby. Would you bow your heads? Father God, we're confident that you are renewing each of us by your Holy Spirit and your word at work in our hearts and lives as you continue to transform us into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, we look forward to the way that you make us into your image, that we might be, that we might be who our families need, that we might be who our community needs, that we might be who our church needs, that we might be the people that you want us to be, that you might receive the glory due to you. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.